All right, if you would, let's turn once again to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, and we'll be looking at verses 27 through 31, which will bring us to the end of our study of Proverbs chapter 21. I want to consider for our subject this morning, I know the title sounds a bit ominous, it sounds uh, maybe even a bit discouraging, but I certainly believe that it is what the Lord is attempting uh, to show us and direct us to, and have entitled it this morning, A Warning to the Wicked. A Warning to the Wicked. If you look with me at Proverbs 21, beginning there in verse 27, the Bible says, he coveteth greedily, or verse 27, rather, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. As we arrive at this final section of this exposition of Proverbs 21, uh, really the key to the text we're looking at is found in verse 30, where there is this very clear declaration made about the frailty, the inability of man's wisdom, man's understanding, and man's counsel. Verse 30 says that there is no wisdom. There is no understanding nor counsel against the Lord. What the writer of the Proverbs here, Solomon, intends by telling us that is that no matter what man attempts to do against God's counsel or attempts to stand against the will and the decrees of God, it will not stand. Now, the warning is given to the wicked. The wicked man here is described as the man who tries to counsel against the Lord, who tries to elevate his understanding above what God is actually saying. It is frightening if you are declared as one of the wicked. This certainly is a frightening proposition. But this chapter's ending where it began so many weeks ago, in the, verse, the first verse, we saw the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. We learned at the outset of this particular proverb that God's will, God's absolute sovereign majesty, uh, is the, uh, the source of all things. Everything God intends to do, he will do. There's nothing, nor anyone, nor anything who can hinder him in carrying out his plans. There is nothing that can stop that. We'll see in just a few moments that the Bible actually refers to our Lord as laughing in derision at everything man does in an attempt to hinder or to set his plans, counsel, and will against the Lord. The warning is very clear. No human scheme whatsoever that's formed even with the greatest that human wisdom can create, with the greatest, even with prudence and diligence, can prevail against God. Uh, there is no nation that can set its weaponry against God and execute or remove God from his sovereign place. Nothing, and this ought to encourage us today, 
Nothing that is pointed even against his church. Nothing that is pointed against his cause. Anything that is part of what God's plans and purposes are, which we know are all things, can prosper against the hand of a sovereign God. Men that would be declared these wicked men should be very frightened at those prospects, those who set out to set their minds and their hearts and their heads, if you will, against the counsel of God. We also saw at the beginning of this proverb in verse 2 that every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. It also reminds me of the entirety of the key verse in the book of Judges where it says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, That's not a commendation. That's a condemnation. That man, when he tries to do that which he believes is right in his own eyes, will never prosper. No matter how many devices a man has in his heart, no matter how many things he plans, how well he plans it out, how well he schemes, he or she will never defeat the counsel of Almighty God. In Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. That little word, that, is so powerful in that expression. That shall stand. What is the that? The counsel of the Lord shall stand. There is no wisdom other than the Lord's wisdom. There is no understanding rather than the understanding that God gives. And there certainly, there is no counsel other than the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Man in all of his self-centeredness and arrogance believes that he can harden his heart, stiffen his neck against this God and that he will ultimately get his way. But the word says that it will never stand. It has no possibility of standing. The wisdom of man will vanish away. The understanding of man will be brought to ignorance and his counsel will perish with him. So there is a warning here. The wicked are warned that they cannot prevail against the counsel and the will of God. But as God's word is, there is also a reminder and an encouragement to those who do not live with the wicked man's devices. There is a reward that is given and remind and told to those who do not have this wicked mindset. So let's look more in depth at this this morning and look at verse 27. He begins to lay this, lay these purposes of the wicked man out. He makes reference to a sacrifice. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? Uh, now to understand this, we have to realize that especially in the Old Testament. It's filled with sacrifices. Sacrifices were commanded to be given. They were of a divine institution, a divine commandment. But in order for a sacrifice to be acceptable, that sacrifice must be offered in faith. It must have been offered with repentance. It had to be offered with a desire of not only repentance, but conviction and a returning back to a proper fellowship with God. In those sacrifices, whether they were offerings of animals, whatever the case may be, God was greatly honored and accepted those sacrifices. He was pleased by those sacrifices if they were done in the proper mind with the proper heart. 
However, we do see a pattern in the Old Testament, especially of sacrifices being refused. Sacrifices being unacceptable. Not only are they unacceptable, they're called an abomination. Now the word abomination is the strongest word that the Bible can actually use for unacceptability. In other words, there is nothing good in it whatsoever. Not an ounce of goodness is in a sacrifice that is brought with a wicked mind. That's what the, salt, that's what the, pro, the writer of Proverbs is saying here. It's bad enough if you come to the sacrifice and you do it without faith, without repentance, without a desire of being in a right fellowship with God. But notice he says, but how much more would it be with a wicked mind? You see, these sacrifices that were unacceptable, they were not just an abomination to themselves, they were, they were an abomination to God. Now, speaking in the manner of men, they were disgusting and detestable to God. Now, that, those two words help us get some kind of an understanding of how an abomination these are. But remember, you're talking about a God whose eyes are too pure and too holy to look upon sin. So even disgust and detest isn't a strong enough word to describe what an abomination is. You see, we often have to speak in the manner of men, and our understanding is still limited as to just how unacceptable a sacrifice being offered this way actually was. So God declares it unacceptable. That's why we're also told to be very careful about sacrifices we make. The book of Ecclesiastes tell us, tells us to be very careful about the vows we make. Be not rash with your mouth. Do not bring something before God and without an perfect intention to keep it. In other words, don't just make a vow in order to impress. They were an abomination. But notice, not only when they are brought by these wicked men, that also means that the sacrifice was brought without the true intent or the meaning of the sacrifice. In other words, whatever the sacrifice was that God was requiring, there was an intention and a meaning of that sacrifice. Again, goes back to this, was there true repentance accompanying that sacrifice? Did they have a desire to kill sin? Uh, as we read in our opening call to worship and the brief comments I gave you today on Psalm 90, they talked about the secret faults, the secret sins that lie before us. We often think about secret sins as those things that we do, but some of our deepest, darkest secret sins are the thin, sin, thin, sins in the mind. They're sinful intentions. They're sinful when we think about what they actually are. We could use the example of Cain and Abel. You know, sadly, some people have tried to make people by presenting the story of Cain and Abel and the required sacrifice almost to make you feel sorry for Cain because Cain did his best. Well, the reality is, is Cain's best, even if it was the first fruits and the best of his garden, if you will, that's not what was required of the sacrifice. God doesn't just reward sincerity. You being sincere doesn't mean that God accepts that sacrifice. It has to be brought with the proper intent. Cain brought an offering. Even wicked men can bring sacrifices, external performances. 
religious worship. There have been many people throughout the centuries who have given God their animals, they've given God the praise of their lips, they've been on their knees in prayer, but they would not give God their heart. They would not sacrifice properly. God says that's a wicked man. In our human limitations, we often just think about the human, the, the wicked man as a man who does really bad things. In the sight of God, a sacrifice brought by a wicked man is an abomination. The Pharisees are the classic New Testament example, of course. Their giving of alms, their prayers. But that's an abomination to God as well. It was nothing but show. It was an external performance. They wanted you to see, I'm giving you a sacrifice, but their sacrifice was unacceptable. When a man brings that sacrifice properly, we'll see the difference in how God receives it and accepts it. Even though a man, a wicked man, brings his offerings continually before the, before the Lord, it never stops. He continues to give it and give it and give it. If it's done improperly, it always will be and is an abomination to him. And that's where that phrase, how much more? A man can do all these things, but how much more would it be or how much worse is it when he brings it, that's a reference to the sacrifice, with a wicked mind? You see the difference? The sacrifice of the wicked, it's one category, but then he says how much more of an abomination is it when he brings it with a wicked mind? See, a wicked man could bring it, but a wicked mind of the wicked man brings it with intention. The intention was similar to the Pharisees' long, flowing, high-minded sounding prayers. Now again, I'm certainly not saying that long prayers are biblically wrong. I'm not saying that the reverence, there should be great reverence when we pray. We should carefully choose our words. Not only when we pray, but even when we speak, when we preach, when we teach. But the wicked mind here with the wicked sacrifice means that the, the wicked man has an intention of showing devotion, but really isn't devoted. It's what Paul might call a fair show in the flesh. It's cleaning up the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup is still filthy. By the way, that's an intentional show. When you clean up the outside, but your heart and intentions and meaning of your heart remain far from God, that's a pharisaical show. And that's an abomination to God. So today, you could have cleaned yourself up as pure appearance-wise on the outside as the snow that's falling right now. And yet, if your heart is still wicked and the intention and the motive of why you're doing what you're doing is wrong, it's an abomination to God. It's the intent here of the mind is what's at the heart of this. They have an intention, sometimes even a malicious intention, as to why they're doing what they're doing. We could call this pretended holiness. We might also call this that a pretended holiness is wickedness indeed. 
So today, if we have nothing more than the sacrifice of ourselves that is marked with the intention of pretended holiness today, that is a wicked abomination before God, and God does not accept it. It's a performance of an abomination, in essence, is what he's saying. The sacrifice was an abomination in and of itself, but to bring that sacrifice, which is an abomination with a wicked mind, is the performance of an abomination. It's kind of a deep thought. It's an external show. Well, how does that apply to what we're talking about here, about wisdom, understanding, and counsel? Well, that's living proof that man, wicked man, has no wisdom, no understanding, nor any counsel that will stand if that is his belief system. Solomon, the writer, goes on, and he gives another example. Verse 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. A false witness, much like the wicked man with the wicked mind, there is announced the doom or the wrath that will be put upon a false witness. What is a false witness? A false witness is a person in order to show favor or help to one side or in an attempt to show malice to another, gives a false testimony containing false evidence. Or he may sign a document that says, I know this to be true when he actually really knows it's false. It's to give a false testimony. We might use in our terms today, he signs an affidavit. He signs something that says, I confirm what I'm telling you is true when it really isn't. That's a false witness. This is different. Again, hear me carefully. This is different than a man who may tell a lie in a sudden, quick response. It's the intent. There is no doubt in my mind, every single person seated here and every person who's joining us on live stream and myself included, in the heat of a moment, have responded with a lie for one reason or another. If you say you have no sin, (laughs) you're making a mockery of sin. We've all done it. Sometimes it's to protect our interest. Sometimes it's just a reaction But that's not what's in mind here. Now, lying is never right in that case, but he's not saying a person who lies in a sudden response. A false witness is a person just like the wicked man with the wicked mind who brings a sacrifice that's an abomination to God. A false witness does this with intention. He does it deliberately. His false testimony is meant to discredit and to destroy the person in which he is testifying against. Now, a man may become a false witness. He may never be found out. Humans may never know that that person told a lie, but the moment that false witness with deliberate and intentional malice presents that testimony, signs that affidavit, claims that it's true, he brings the vengeance of God upon himself. You say, well, that sounds like something maybe you made up. Psalms 19.5 says, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. 
A false witness is just like that wicked man who brings the abomination. You see, a false witness is also against the counsel of God. He has no wisdom of God. He has no understanding of God, or he would not be a false witness. Now, it used to be in courtrooms all across this country. I don't know if it's just the case in a lot of states anymore. But that was one of the reasons why you placed your hand upon a copy of the Scriptures. And you promised, you promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Even people who at those times when they were still using that, put their hand upon that Bible, raised their right hand, spoke that, gave that, and still with malice, they gave a false testimony. The appearance was, I'm being truthful with you, but the reality is, no, your intent is to destroy. So this false witness shall not go unpunished. But then notice as a contrast, the second half of verse 28, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. You kind of chuckle a bit when you see speaketh constantly, and we think it's a man who uh, doesn't be quiet. It's a person who talks all the time. That's not what that means. There's the praise that comes towards a person that not only hears, right, that hears, but speaks what he hears or speaks the truth constantly. This is the praise of a person who wants to do right. He's one that hears, obeys the counsel, the will of God, the commands of God, which the Bible teaches us that we are told to speak to every man truth. That means you should speak truthful to your neighbors. You should speak truthful to those you go to church with. You should speak truthfully to your family. You should always speak the truth. Combined with what Paul said in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. But you always speak the truth. One that hears, listens for instruction. They want to know what does God say. He testifies only of that which he's heard and knows to be true. You realize most times if you don't know something to be true, for 100% certainty, you should say nothing at all. In other words, if you just say, I think this is true, I think that rumor about that Christian is true, I think, I think, no. And even if you know something to be 100% true, doesn't mean you should speak it. There's some wisdom in learning how to control the tongue. Just because it's truthful in every situation doesn't mean you have to speak in every situation. But this man is an honest man. He speaks constantly, and he speaks the truth even to himself. He is consistent. He's trustworthy. He will be known as a truthful man, a truthful woman. People will actually give him credit for his truthfulness. And a man who is truthful, a woman who is truthful, people will want to listen to, and they'll trust their testimony. I'm telling you, one falsely signed affidavit, one false witness that we give can ruin your reputation. That from a human standpoint, you will never be trusted again. Now again, we're all guilty of lying at some point. Even parents have to admit they know it, even though we don't want to think about it. our kids lie. Adults lie. But again, this false witness 
It's the intention about what he's doing. But the honest man carries the cause of truth. Ultimately, the truth will prevail. Even if it appears that the false testimony was taken as truth. You see, it's not just about having the victory now. Remember, these are eternal things. Truth is true now and for all of eternity. Real truth will always be true. God's truth will always be true. His counsel will always be truthful counsel. His wisdom will always be truthful wisdom. I never have to wonder, can I trust this book? Can I trust the Word of God? It's always the truth. Thy Word is truth. We've talked about this Wednesday night. Sanctify them through thy truth. That's what's at the heart here. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 12, 19 that the the lips of truth are established forever. Proverbs 12, 19, the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. That lying tongue may appear as if it's getting a hearing, getting a crowd, but it's only for a moment. So we can see what's happening here. God continues to prove to us how his wisdom, his counsel, and his understanding cannot be defeated. Verse 29, it goes along with the same thing. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. A wicked man hardeneth his face. This is the arrogance of that wicked man. Maybe that same wicked man that brought the wicked sacrifice. Maybe the wicked man who gave a false testimony. But to harden his face, it's just like it sounds. It's compared to the word or the phrase to be stiff-necked as the people of Israel were towards Moses and God's word. He hardens himself towards the truth. He loses the blush. In other words, he loses the shame that comes in being a false witness. It should be a shameful thing to be a liar. People should be ashamed of themselves before a holy God that intentionally lie. Yet again, how many lies do you hear in a day? How many lies do you view online in a day? Most of it's lie. And if it's not a lie, the actual information is not a lie. The source of the information is known to be a liar and there's no credibility to it. And yet, we see here that the wicked man, instead of submitting himself to God's word, hardens himself. One commentator put it this way, he makes his face like steel. And he doesn't tremble anymore when he brings a bad, unacceptable sacrifice. And he doesn't tremble when he tells a lie before a holy God. He claims defiance as being his mantra. It's his MO. It's the way he functions and he takes pride in it. He's defying the wrath of God. He's defying the terror of the law. His own conscience is seared. God's word has no effect on him. It doesn't reprove him. He says, I'll have my way 
and nothing will stop me except God. But notice again the contrast. But as for the upright, he directeth his way. There's a caution, there's a diligence of a righteous man. The righteous man who desires to follow God's counsel, to do God's will and have the understanding, he doesn't say, what would I do? Or what will I have a mind to do? But rather he says, what should I do? What does God require of me? There's a tremendous difference in saying, what should I do? And what does God require of me? What is my responsibility before God? Well, my responsibility before God already is seen here that I am never to bring a wicked sacrifice. I am not to be a false witness. The Proverbs are intensely practical, but deep doctrinally. You used to be able to rely even on the schools to teach your children not to tell lies. That is no longer the case. Teachers are now paid to lie to students or to believe the lies of the secular world and yet to turn away from the truth from the things of God. But see, the upright man listens carefully. He doesn't try to force his way, doesn't try to force his counsel, his wisdom, his understanding, but rather he's directed by the word of truth. That's exactly what that verse means. He's directed. He acts accordingly with discretion and cautiously so that he is in obedience to God's word. That's the way every one of us as believers should be today. Be circumspect. Be careful. Be diligent in what you say. Be careful in how you act. Be careful to not harden your face against God's counsel. And it brings us to these final two verses. There is no wisdom. We've made reference to it, so I think it's pretty self-explanatory, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Mankind is directed to make his own way. To live by their own counsel, by live in their own understanding, and to live on their own advice. But we are not to live that way. We are to live as those who have an eye and a heart devoted to Almighty God. There will never be, there's probably a much better word that I could use, but there will never ever be success against God that is not based upon His wisdom, understanding, or counsel. Man's devices will never ever stand. We should never think that for a moment we can act in opposition to God and not expect there to be consequences. To think I can oppose God in this area of my life, I can oppose God in this area of my life, that's to hold God's word in contempt. Just like a judge would look at an attorney and tell that attorney because they're responding improperly, they're going against the order of the court and say, Counselor, I will hold you in contempt. 
You're not acting accordingly to the rules of this court. To oppose God is to do that exact thing. Is to hold His word, His rules, His ways in contempt and say, I will do my own thing. I'll continue with my pretended holiness. I'll continue in my own counsel, in my own ways. I'll harden my face. You will not prevail. Wicked man thinks they have the wisdom. They think they have the understanding. They think they have the counsel. I have heard it hundreds of times, even in the last 10 years. We hear just a a brief sentence of a person who claims or sounds like they have God on their side. We've especially heard this in the political arena. Just give a hint that you have God on your side but then they turn and they act in their own wisdom, own counsel, and own understanding. We should be very, very on to that and be aware of that to just claim that someone is of God but doesn't have a life that backs that claim or that testimony. You should turn from them. But we say, that politician, that's a Christian. Do their actions live up to what they claim to be? You see, the reality here is, is that the counsel, wisdom, and understanding of God is not just something we say that we have, but we actually live that way. If we act in opposition to the Lord, it will not prosper very long. Remember, eternity compared to now is a very short amount of time. Someone might say that person's been getting away with that for decades. Eventually, they will be brought under the vengeance and the wrath of God. The Bible does tell us in Psalms 2, verses 1 through 6, talks about the Solomon giving understanding to his son he says my son if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding yea if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding if thou seekest her that's wisdom as silver and searches search for her as for hid treasures then shalt thou understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. I might have said Psalm 2. I meant Proverbs 2. If I said Psalms, I meant Proverbs 2. Solomon wanted his son to know, where do I get understanding? Where do I get this knowledge? Where does this come from? And he says it comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. Now look with me at Psalms 2. Like I said, if I said Psalms before, I meant Proverbs 2, now Psalms 2. Very familiar. The psalmist writes, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The key here is to understanding rage there is to assemble in a restless commotion. Imagine means to conspire or to think up a vain thing. 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now watch this. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That word derision literally means contempt and mockery. Now I'm not going to begin to try to understand what it means for God to laugh. Again, we can only speak in the manner of men, and we understand what the word laugh means to us. I don't think it's laugh in the sense how we think about ha, 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 laugh. But it is God in his perfect holiness who's looking at man's devices, and he is simply holding them as worthless. But then the frightening part, if it hasn't frightened enough already, he says, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. The psalmist goes on in that psalm to declare the Son of God, to declare Jesus Christ. And the very last phrase of Psalm 2 ends says, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You see, the council... Man that tries to stand in opposition to God, he laughs at them. Those that fight against God and oppose God are simply doing nothing more than bringing the vengeance and shame and eternal ruin upon themselves. To make war with the Lamb of God, Revelation 17, 14 says that the Lamb will certainly overcome any who set their mind and their hearts in opposition to him. He will overcome them. So the cause, notice he says, this is a strange verse, the horse is prepared against the day of battle. Again, sometimes we see things in Scripture that it's hard for our minds to get around because it is sometimes culturally and based upon the time in which they lived. But the reality here is, and one of the big ideas that's coming from this verse is understanding that we should not act in opposition to God, but rather act in dependence upon Him. The means here is that God does use means that He provides. Now again, we don't understand the horse, but Solomon would have understood the horse. The horse being prepared against the day of battle is what's being referred here. The horses and the men were to be armed and disciplined. If you turn, not this morning, but in your, maybe in your private study time, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 26 through 28, you will see that in Solomon's time, Israel's kings, they used horses in war. And those horses were used as part of the battle. But God gave a very peculiar and strange command. He said, do not multiply the number of horses. In other words, don't add to the horses in order to fortify or strengthen your position. Now, that's interesting to me because we are to use the means God gives us, but he also gives us those means and he gives us commandments as to how to use those means. And that's what makes this verse make sense. The horse is prepared. The horses that were used were disciplined. They were prepared to carry the rider, but they were forbidden to multiply them. 
Do not have more than what's already been given to you. Safety and salvation are of the Lord. We can remember the story of David trying to convince his brethren to go out and face Goliath. And he kept telling them, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And they were not willing to go and face this Goliath. And yet it was when David, in the strength and the power of God, goes out and he faces that giant. And Goliath laughs him to scorn. He's holding David in contempt. He's mocking him. And David says something so profound, and it's often missed, but it's the whole key to that story. David says, the battle is the Lord's. Nothing in David was dependent upon his strength. Was he prepared? Yes. He had the sling and five smooth stones. But those five smooth stones were worthless if the battle wasn't God's. That's what Solomon's talking about only in the terms that he would have fully understood. The horse is prepared, but safety is of the Lord. Of course, God can save without armies, but armies cannot save without Him. If God decides that even His people are to be overcome and overrun, as a means of chastisement, God allows that to happen. How many battles and wars did God allow and ordain by raising up wicked nations in the Old Testament against His own people, not just because God had nothing better to do, but to bring them back into a proper fellowship with Him. God raised up wicked nations to pour out His judgment and chastisement upon them. We have to seek His wisdom. We have to seek His understanding. We have to trust in Him alone. Now look, we can, we can apply this and think about when we're preparing for the day of battle. We're not going to try to allegorize this and, and put this into the battles in our life. I'm not talking about that at all. But you realize that there is no counsel. There is no wisdom. There is no understanding in human terms, that can stand against God's. Folks, I don't know what it is in our life where maybe we're not, we're not submitting ourselves to God's wisdom, God's counsel, God's understanding. You know it is our tendency in our humanity to react and to react quickly and respond with almost a certainty that we're doing and we're responding God's way only to find out nothing can be farther from the truth. We're human. We do respond quickly. But just as Solomon was trying to tell his son, if you will seek this and you'll treat it as silver, you'll treat it as something that is so precious, God will give it to you. Instead of just crying out quickly what we believe is the right counsel and the right wisdom, we ought to be careful in how we approach that. In Proverbs 19.21, it tells us that there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Think about that for a moment. 
Think about the counsel and the Lord's counsel and how it will stand. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the King hear us when we call. Notice again, it's what do we trust in? Who are we trusting in? Psalm 33, 17. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in mercy. Great reminders and great truth here. Friends, a success, again, I'm using that word. It's not, probably not the best word. But the success of this life does not depend upon your strength, human counsel, human wisdom. But it relies upon God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's counsel. Mankind in his sinfulness will always strive against the truth in which God's word declares to be so. But the upright, the righteous, joyfully obey and submit themselves to God. The challenge today is, is not for you to turn and repent from your wicked way. Prayerfully, you're not walking in the way of the wicked man. But rather to rejoice in the great truth that God gives us. His counsel his understanding, his wisdom. To know his will is to have eternal knowledge. The wicked man is warned. Do not oppose this living God. Do not bear false witness. Do not bring your sacrifices which are an abomination before God. But you who are His, the upright, the righteous, you should be encouraged today in that truth. I'm encouraged that I've been given understanding. I'm encouraged that I know God's counsel and that when I pick up this sacred book, when I read the Holy Scriptures, I understand what I'm reading. And then take that and apply that to your life. Folks, these are not just truths we amen at church services. This is the way we're supposed to live our lives. This is the way you should live your life amongst people who are not Christians. See, it's easy to feel safe amongst brethren. It doesn't feel so safe in the world. However, the Word of God declares that there's safety in me. There's safety in my Word. There's safety in my counsel. This is the warning to the wicked man, but also an encouragement to the righteous. Let's pray.